Welcome to episode 17 of Task Force X. This episode, we have a special guest as we talk about the first appearance of Checkmate in Action Comics 598. Plus, we talk about Suicide Squad number 8. Plus, we have character profiles on Harry Stein and the Privateer, a.k.a. Mark Shaw. But before we start that, a couple of housekeeping things. I want to, uh, first of all, wish all of my listeners a very Merry Christmas and hope you guys had a happy Thanksgiving. And for my second part of uh, beginning housekeeping, I, I want to wish the family of squadmate David Spoko our deepest condolences, and we wish you guys the best. As I talked about last month, uh, squadmate David Spoko, hope I pronounced his last name right, uh, passed away, leaving his wife and children. Uh, I want to dedicate this episode, episode 17, to the memory of David Spoko. David, hope you're enjoying this up there in that big comic book store in the sky. But enough of that. Let's go ahead and start today's episode. Hey there, true believers. Welcome to the Task Force X Headcast. A proud member of the Headcast family, I am your host, Aaron Moss, otherwise known as Head. The Task Force X headcast follows the adventures of DC Comics' Task Force X. Task Force X was made up of the Suicide Squad comic, which was created by John Ostrander and Ryan Scott, which started in the late 1980s, and the sister comic, Checkmate, created by Paul Kupperberg and Steve Irwin. These were two sides of DC's espionage comics. Task Force X is an off-the-books government strike team made up of convicts with no hope for release, serving as expendable agents for impossible missions. Succeed, and I'll shave time off your sentences. If we don't. You'll be dead. Exactly. I will attempt to chronicle each title and all the books that the Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during this era. We're the U.S. government. Who's going to blow the whistle on us? The convicts? Who'd believe them? You? <laughs> You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, yeah, Amanda. A blog and a headcast. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. No, not at all, Amanda. I'm just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Punk. All right, Amanda. Bang. And welcome back to Task Force X. Uh, starting this episode, we're going to start reviewing an episode, an episode, an issue of Checkmate comic, along with the Suicide Squad. But before Checkmate appeared in Checkmate, they appeared in a little comic called Action Comics. And if you don't know, Action Comics was a Superman comic. And when I wanted to do this uh, issue. I was trying to think of myself, who, you know, I'd like to have a guest, you know, special guest to come on here with me. And who better than to do a Superman issue than my current guest? Uh, in fact, I've talked about him on my Head Speaks podcast uh, between his show and Shag's Fire and Water show. Yes, I've heard of Shag since the Firestorm is the main portion I enjoy. Uh, <laughs> uh, this guy here I'm going to introduce, well, he's one of my influences in podcasting. 
And uh, to me, it's a great pleasure to have him on board. Uh, let me introduce to you guys, Mr. Michael Bailey. Hello, Michael. Uh, thank you so much for that. That was, uh, that was a very nice introduction. Well, uh, thank you for, like I told you off air, I've been listening to you guys for a while. I've been listening <laughs> to you for quite a while. And like I said, when I think of Superman, I think of you. So no one better to have on oh, talk I, about action <laughs> comics. <laughs> I like that association. I really do. <laughs> and I've been listening recently to your uh, views from the long box and, it seems like I'm a few years older than you, but we, we seem to have a similar starting point in comics. I started around 87 also, and the Burn Superman, again, that is my Superman. Yeah, yeah so. as it should be. As, as I feel like I should say, even though I'm pretty open to people having other Superman that are their Superman. But no, we, I mean, we secretly know it's the best. So. Of course. <laughs> well, I, I said, you know, you're the best person to have on here. Would you mind telling my listening audience... Uh, why you're the best person for this job? Well, um, for since 2009, uh, my friend Jeffrey Taylor and I have been producing a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, where we have made our way through the entire uh, post-crisis iteration of Superman. We started with Man of Steel number one. And then, you know, kind of worked our way uh, through that. And we basically have gotten all the way up to the beginning of what is, uh, I guess I, you would say, cover date, uh, 1995. Uh, in fact, uh, from, I don't know when this episode's going out, but on November 5th, the show is actually coming back. We've been on a kind of a unintended hiatus uh, but I have like eight episodes completely in the can, so it's going to be weekly again for a little while. Uh, but it was it's kind of our mission to chart the course of the post-crisis Superman, uh, kind of talking. Uh, we used to go one month per episode, but then it just got to the point where it was just insane uh, with the number of books and the number of books we're still covering. So we kind of uh, started when we started talking about Superman, the Man of Steel, kind of splitting the episodes up into basically a half month per episode. And we've had a lot of fun. We're about to, uh, we're about to hit our 200th episode. And in fact, we talked about this issue of action comics, uh, on episode 20 of the show, uh, which was, wow, that was way back in like <laughs> 2009. That is so long ago. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of fun to, uh, to be back to talk about it again from a kind of a different perspective, I guess. You could say. Okay, well, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. Um, for this issue, we're going to talk about Action Comics 598, which was the first appearance of Checkmate. Uh, this issue was entitled Checkmate. The cover date was March of 1988. But as Shag, Shag is fond of saying, if you want to buy this off the newsstand, hop your DeLorean and go back to December the 1st of 1987. And when you go, take 75 cents to buy this bad boy. Yeah, <laughs> that's my thought exactly. <laughs> uh, the editor on this was Mike Carlin. The plotter penciler was John Byrne. I miss those days. The writer was Paul Kupperberg, who is the actual writer on the Checkmate comic. Inker Ty Templeton. Letterer John Costanza. Colorist Petra Scotzi. We always said Scotesi, but Scotesi. we could be wrong about that. That's just how we pronounced it. 
I, I defer to you guys because I'm usually wrong on these also because I can barely speak, let alone pronounce odd sounding names. Uh, the cover credits is, uh, again, all time favorite artist, at least for this time frame, John Byrne. And this issue was reprinted in Superman, the Man of Steel, Volume 8 trade paperback, which appears to come out in uh, 2014. Uh, the synopsis for this story. And again, I'm pulling all this information, the synopsis from a great site. Uh, I'm sure you guys probably heard about it before. Mike's Amazing World of Comics. <laughs> the synopsis, Lois Lane conducts an interview with Carmali, Crack's defense minister, who is a metropolis to denounce Superman's actions against his country. Angered that a woman is sent to do the interview, the minister has his guard seize Lois. Members of a rival terrorist group known as the Angels of Allah then storm the office and take Lois and the minister hostage. To ensure Superman is distracted, other members of the terrorist group hijack a Navy aircraft carrier and plant a bomb on its nuclear reactor. Lois is then rescued by a man in a black wearing a modified knight's mask. Superman also meets a man in similar garb aboard the carrier. This man helps Superman defeat the terrorists. After the crisis is over, both knights disappear. Lois then returns to the Daily Planet to write up her story, Clark writes up the story about the carrier. Elsewhere, Harry Stein and Harvey Bullock hold a meeting. Their secret government organization, known as Checkmate, employ the two knights. Harry receives a report that the defense minister has left American airspace. He then detonates an explosive on Carmali's plane, destroying it. To be continued in Checkmate number one. And that's the this issue. Uh, Mike, what are your thoughts on this issue overall? This was a really weird book. I remember buying it. I bought it off the rack. Um, I can even tell you where. Uh, <laughs> that would probably be boring. But I, I remember picking this one up and being kind of confused on a number of levels. For one thing, the, the artwork is a little different from the previous issues of Action Comics because Ty Templeton inked over Burns' pencils and he gave it a very Gave Burns uh, pencils a very different look. I mean, it's still recognizably Burn, but there is a lot of Ty Templeton in here. So there's kind of a almost cartoony quality uh, to to the artwork. Not that that's bad. It's just different from every other issue of Burns' run on Action Comics, which I guess kind of makes sense. Um, with uh, you know, since this is kind of this is, I guess you would call a backdoor pilot for another title. Whereas most of the other, uh, during this time period, Action Comics was a team-up book. Uh, and usually it was somebody who had their own book uh, coming in to guest star or didn't have a book at all, like the Metal Men would be in the next issue and in a previous issue. So, But for this one, I, I just, I remember not really knowing anybody who was involved with Checkmate. Uh, years later, when I read it again and saw that Harvey Bullock was part of this, that just confused the heck out of me. I'm like, where are they pulling him from? <laughs> I mean, at, at this point, Bullock really wasn't even part of the Bat titles. Because uh, when he was introduced before the crisis, he was a crooked cop that was kind of sent as a plant to uh, serve the mayor's needs against uh, against Jim Gordon. And uh, I guess they're kind of using that version here. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of strange. I, I have not read any Checkmate beyond this, so I'm not quite sure what part he ultimately plays in the book. Uh, but uh, that's it's just kind of funny to think, you know, what we think of today is Harvey Bullock. And I'm not talking like, uh, what's his name? Donald Logue 
from uh, from the Gotham TV show, but from the comics, he's kind of the slovenly detective uh, who has been known to kind of bend the rules to his uh, to his own uh, to his own ends, and then not. So uh, th- there's a lot of little things going on in this issue that if you were reading this just as like the first appearance of Checkmate and hadn't read any of the other Superman books at the time, you might be a little confused. Uh, for one thing, Cat Grant uh, is coming on to Clark Kent pretty hot and heavy. That was a, kind of an ongoing subplot uh, at this point. And at the end of the issue, when Lois and Perry and Clark Kent are doing what Jeff and I refer to the burn info dump, uh, because usually at the end of his uh, stories, he would have people talk about what just happened. Uh, there's a uh, there's a moment where Perry tells Lois that Kent wrote up Superman's part in stopping the hijackers. And Lois has this kind of incredulous look on her face and she goes, why doesn't that surprise me? In the issue or two before this, Lois had gone to Smallville to figure out what the heck was up with Clark Kent and Superman. And Pa Kent concocted this terrible story <laughs> that they raised Superman alongside Clark. And so Lois felt betrayed that Clark had kind of an inside um, inside track on Superman that she couldn't possibly compete with. So at this point, she was still really mad at Clark and would continue to be that way until uh, he was thought to be killed a couple issues down the line. But no, it was a fun issue. It's uh, It does feel very much like an 80s backdoor pilot. Yeah. Uh, the fact that the bad guys, you know, aren't wearing more like, you know, like, what are those called? Turtlenecks uh, surprises me. Yeah. Lois is very much hands-on. She does not sit passively while they're, you know, while the terrorists are doing what they're doing. Uh, I really liked watching, and I, I love the design of the Checkmate Knights. I always have. I think that's just a really cool look. And it was just kind of interesting to see Superman not being the one to save Lois, but ultimately still being part of the story. So I, I really, I, I like this issue quite a bit. Well, like I said, I came into comics around the same time that you did, but I started with, as I mentioned on my other shows, uh, G.I. Joe. And eventually I, I came into this comic. I picked this up a couple months after it came out. It was a back issue at this point. that uh, I was trying to back. I came into Superman right before the Supergirl. No, right before, right after the Supergirl saga which is around issues 22 or so is when I came into Superman. So I came backtracked all these other books afterwards. Uh, so I, I, I got this later on. Uh, Checkmate was already going ongoing. I'd picked up Checkmate around the same time and started buying those books also. Uh, like you, I, yeah, I really love the way these knights look. The, the design for the knight costume is, is fantastic. Uh, a couple of the notes from this actual issue. Uh, on page two, I like the scene of Superman flying over the harbor. Uh, I really mm-hmm. like the way that scene's, I don't know, just it's very Superman to me. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right phrase, but I thought the, between Byrne and Templeton, they did a good job with that page in particular. Uh, and then the next- Yeah, Byrne had a, had a really good handle on the way the cape flowed behind him. 
as he was flying. And he had a little bit, there's a little bit of George Reeves, Superman from the black and white series yeah. in the way the, the, the cape kind of separates uh, from the neck. So you see the, the shirt behind it. So it was uh, always a name. I always thought that was a neat little artistic touch on Burns part. Like I've talked about elsewhere. I, I didn't care much for some of Burns later work. But at this point here, as far as I'm concerned, he was firing on all cylinders. Mm-hmm. This was this was this is when I started. So, but this is when I think this is his top of his game. I know he's on Fantastic Four before this and a bunch of Marvel titles, but to me, Burns Superman is the Superman, and and this is the reason why. Uh, the next page, page three. I like uh, if you're just new to the book, if you're picking up because of checkmates. This page basically gives you a exposition page, letting you know basically all the stuff that you were informing us about earlier about Lois, Cat, Gangbuster, Booster, and everybody, letting us know what's going on and where we're at as far as the Superman story. And then page five, yeah, we got a little bit of Cat Grant. Um, have you? I'm not sure if you've talked about this on your other shows. I'm sure you have uh, the new Supergirl show. Yeah, we, we talk about it on the on the live show that I do every okay. uh, Tuesday night now because the Supergirl show is on is on Mondays. I, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. I've loved the first two episodes. What do you think of Kat on there? I, I think she's spot on. I think she's perfect. I think that's exactly who Kat Grant would be at that age. Okay, so I wasn't quite so sh- as sold on that as you are, but a part of part of it is that her speech and I heard a lot of people enjoyed it that, that speech about being uh, a girl and watch makes you real name to me that that speech came across, across kind of forced but it, you know it did to me too and but I have heard enough like the uh, Teresa and Rebecca over at Supergirl Radio which is right. a great podcast uh, that is covering the show you know both of them had absolutely no problem with it. Right. And considering one of them writes for the Mary Sue, you know, that that said to me, like, OK, there are people out there that don't have a problem with it. And, ba- and my, my opinion basically became if they don't have a problem with it, I'm not going to sit here and, and kind of have a problem with it at the same time. Uh, I think in the second episode, she uh, I was really surprised at how much they fleshed her character out. The history is different compared to this one that, you know, when she. In, uh, in on Supergirl, she went to work for the Daily Planet and became a gossip columnist because she didn't have anywhere else to go. In the comics, when she was introduced in Adventures of Superman number 424, she was already an established gossip columnist coming to work for the Daily Planet. But the way that now she has her own like media empire, I, I just I was totally down with that. Yeah, no, I definitely like that. The fact that she's moved on from the Daily Planet and she's actually... Well, I say it's kind of like the new 52 cat that, you know, her and Clark went out and started their own mm-hmm. cat. Uh, God, I forget the name of the company they started, but basically, basically the same thing. They started their own. It was Cat Clark or something like that. Yeah. I wasn't I wasn't a really big fan of that, but uh, I was kind of glad when they dropped it as fast as they did, <laughs> actually. But yeah, it's kind of along the same lines. Yeah, she she's grown out of Perry's shadow, if you will, and the Daily Planet. Or she's trying to grow out of their shadow. And she's doing her own thing. Uh, but as far as just lasting off this, you know, whole Supergirl thing, to me, that's kind of like Superman with his glasses. When you try to examine why that works, it just comes across as forced. 
I, I think as far as like Superman's glasses, if you see uh, the, the original Superman movie, to me anyways, Christopher Reeves makes it, it shows you why someone wearing glasses can fool people. Because mm-hmm. every time he, he, he uh, starts to tell Lois who he is, he pulls his glasses off, he stands a little taller, and it just makes me smile. And I can see him. It's, he actually is changing from a, to a different person to me. But yeah, I'll agree with that. And I, 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 I think it works and I'm, I'm really liking how they're playing on that show. Uh, like in these comics where, you know, the, they're not making too big of a deal out of it that she just wears glasses. It's really all I need to know. Let's move on. <laughs> Speaking of Lois, I, I, I'm not a fan of her hair in this, at this time frame. But like you were saying, I, I do like the fact that she's strong and she, while well, Superman does save her half the time, a lot of times she doesn't need him to save her. She, mm-hmm. you know, she's powerful in her own right and she's very strong minded and not willing to take crap off of people. Yeah, she was a little icier under Burns' watch. Uh, she. I, I did not like her as much as she would later become after Byrne left. And, and you had like Roger Stern and Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway being like the, the main people in charge of the, of the title. But, at the, but in this issue, I think she was pretty much spot on, uh, you know, even up to the point where the guy, you know, the, the person she's there interviewing her is going to basically beat her with a writing clock. <laughs> it looks like. Yeah. So, uh, which was, that was the thing with Byrne. He would do stuff like this. Uh, he was not afraid to 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 have such scenarios play out. So it's it's kind of funny that she's saved by another terrorist group, essentially. Yeah, yeah. As I have my note here, yeah, Lois about to get the snot beat out of her until these terrorists show up. But then, on page nine, it's a job for Superman. Mm-hmm. And again, another classic. Clark wandering down the street and hears on the radio the boombox someone's carrying about Lois being in trouble. So he, actually, I guess he doesn't hear about Lois. Uh, he hears just, there's a nuclear, oh, it's a nuclear uh, aircraft being taken yes. over. And he just flies off. Again, another great Superman. Well, you don't see him changing. You see the blur in the background of him running and changing and then Superman just flying off. I just I just love this era of <laughs> Superman. It just well I, I'm liking the new fifty two. It doesn't hold a candle to to this era. No, I'll agree with that. Later, I guess what I refer to as the Triangle Era. The uh, USS Wessinger uh, is a reference to the Silver Age Superman editor Mort Wessinger. So that yeah. that's a nice little Easter egg hidden in there. Yeah, I like when they do things like that myself. On page 11, we have a guy referred to as Patchy, the guy with the patch on his, on his eye, <laughs> uh, revealing his hand a little too early for Lois, saying, you yeah, know, we can take this off because, well, you've already seen our faces, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, it's saying, once we're done, you're dead. <laughs> Which gives Lois all the reason to say, you know what? The heck with you then. Uh, and then when the knight first showed up on page 12, uh, we just see the the Billy Club, or whatever it is, fly over and hit the guy's arm. Every time I see that, it makes me smile, because I remember reading this when I first saw it, and again, the next page shows the knight 
kind of like a backward side angle, but it's just I just love the way these checkmate knights look. Yeah, it's 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 an awesome design. I, I definitely agree with that. That's a really good costume. And then uh, again, just the next couple pages, just the fight scene between the knights and these terrorists. He just basically kicks their butts. I really like the way that played out. And then uh, on page nineteen, the minister threatening Lois after all said and done. You know, like he's threatening Lois Lane. Apparently, he doesn't know who she is too well, because yeah. if she doesn't kick his butt later on, well, her boyfriend in quotes, Superman, you know, he's definitely can stop him from doing anything. But then, yeah, when he's, she's talking to the knight, he kind of pulls a Batman and disappears on her. I really like that because I think this was the same era that Batman was doing that to Gordon. Gordon be talking, turn around, and Batman be gone. Yeah. <laughs> so, that- I always kind of liked that type of thing. I, I, I also like it that they uh, they would later kind of play off of that and basically have it that um, Gordon was just tired of it. <laughs> and it would become kind of an ongoing joke at that point. Yeah. And then my real final note on this is uh, the last issue here where uh, Harry Stein, who we find out later, is in charge of Checkmate. He takes out the minister. So I guess Lois mm-hmm. doesn't have to worry about anything after all. <laughs> well, it's funny because they were the, 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 the terrorists that had kidnapped her wanted her to write uh, a story for, you know, a publication in, in her newspaper stating their side of the Holy War. And she's just, she's just not having any of it. So, uh, you know, it's just, uh, I love basically how, this whole there was all this kind of political intrigue and the funny thing is is that unlike some stories of this type from the 1980s like the one that always stands out to me is 10 nights of the beast the batman story right uh which does not work in any other era but the one it was published in because it has mikhail gorbachev reagan's part of it you know russia is part of the ussr it's not russia right uh so here all of the all of the bits and pieces of the story, the the different factions, the different terrorist groups, and all that, these all still work today. Right. I mean, you could you could pull off checkmate. Almost, I would say it's almost easier to do today. And I know eventually, you know, especially after Infinite Crisis, they updated the concept. And Greg Rucka, I don't know if you read that series, but the yeah. the, the checkmate series he wrote was was amazing. But I could still see something like this on like television. Oh yeah, like definitely. I see it. I see it like in the '80s mode, but I also see it in the current mode. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, I like Rucka series, but not as much as like this original run of Checkmate. Yeah, I have owned it for years, and I have never cracked it open. I'm just waiting for that day that I finally <laughs> uh, just really just get that wild hair, and, and I got it because at one point I was trying to make it a. Uh, it was my mission to collect all of the DC books from. At that point, it was Crisis to Zero Hour, and then that kind of stretched out from Crisis to Infinite Crisis, and I have pretty comprehensive collection. And thankfully, uh, though sadly, the Checkmate stuff was rather easy. <laughs> And inexpensive to procure. It's not like Suicide Squad, which right. got a little difficult after a while. But um, 
No, I, I think uh, as a backdoor pilot, it works. Superman has enough to do, but he doesn't really interact with the checkmate people too much, which I think is probably for the best because it's always kind of weird for him to do stuff like that. Well, I think checkmate works personally. It works best without the super, super, superhero. It's not a hard word, Aaron, without the superhero element in there as much. I like it more as like I say, originally it's from what it was conceived. The task or suicide squad handles the metahuman angle and checkmate handles the the regular espionage, mm-hmm. and I think that works out best. That's one reason I think I didn't care for Rekka quite as much as this because it, it kind of combined one superhero with a uh, or one metahuman with a regular agent and it just kind of combined it. So to me, it works best this way. But again, not to say Rekka's wasn't a bad run. Well, actually, I, I take that back. I did read. Uh, at least one issue of Checkmate. I read the Invasion crossover issue. Oh, okay. Uh, which I really enjoyed. And, and again, it was like one of those things like, wow, I really got to make time for this. And then <laughs> for whatever reason, I just don't. Uh, probably all the podcasting and stuff that I do. But, you know, it's really cool that there's a show like this out there that is covering this stuff because, you know, it, it, it wasn't a bad series. And, and, you know, for lasting 33 issues, I know that doesn't seem like a lot, but I guess today, compared to today, how today's books get canceled, like after five. Yeah. You know, it's it's, it's probably not, it, it's almost a success story at this point. Well, I say, I listen, I say, I've listened to you guys on the uh, talk about Superman and Shaq talk about Firestorm. And uh, I've talked about on my Head Speaks podcast that Kevin Smith's one that got me to actually do a podcast because I want to, uh, his groovy cartoon movie showing that mm-hmm. in San Francisco and they had a Q and a and the recorded the podcast, Jane Silent Bob get old. And at the end of he's like, you've got one year, your homework is to go out and do a podcast. <laughs> so I went home and I decided to do the head speaks, which is talk about comics in general, things that annoy me, just whatever I want to talk about. And then I'm like, Oh, I want to do something about comics. And again, my first thought was firestorm because he's him and the Adam are my favorite characters, but, Again, I found Shag's Fire and Water podcast, and Shag's doing a fantastic job covering Firestorm over there. And the Atom, I love the power of the Atom. I don't haven't read much of his older stuff, his his regular series back in the sixties, I believe it was. But I'm like, hey, that's a limited run. I don't know. And I got to think. You know what? I really love Suicide Squad when when uh, John Ostinger was doing it. That was a great run. It ties into Checkmate. That was another great book. You know what? I think I'll combine those two and do a podcast <laughs> covering, you know, something that a lot of, at the time, a lot of people didn't really hear about. Now, everyone knows about Suicide Squad because of the upcoming movie. <laughs> well, you're in a, you're in the best position then because you're already established. You're not yeah. starting up because of the movie. So, uh, way to, way to be ahead of the curve yeah. there, sir. Congratulations. About, about 15 episodes in, 16. This is going to be episode 17 more than late. It's supposed to be 16, but my episode 16 is going to be a special for Murphy Anderson. Anyways, I think we're going off track a little bit here, but I think that about covers it for this issue. Do you have any other comments or concerns or anything about this issue, Mike? No, just just a lot of fun. Uh, it, it kind of stands out in this Action Comics run because it's one of the few that had a character that, right. you know, they were using this to launch 
the uh, the property with, but I'm really glad that it got reprinted in that Man of Steel trade. I'm kind of hoping that they continue uh, with that line uh, and at least finish out the burn run because they're only like two. Or, I broke it down on my on my blog Fortress of Bailytude years ago. Actually, right around the time Man of Steel was coming out, I kind of broke down how they could do the rest of it and like two two more trades but uh no it's 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 kind of funny that this was an era where superman is used to launch something whereas today it would be batman uh, you know that they'd be they'd be using batman to to launch the care you know to uh, this type of organization or whatever so uh, gone are the halcyon <laughs> days yeah. of our youth well, if that's it, then I, I want to thank you for coming on and joining me for this episode. Uh, again, as I said previously, I, I've enjoyed your shows. I've listened to you for quite a while now, so it's it's a pleasure for me to actually finally get to talk to you face-to-face, as it were. Well, I appreciate you having me on. This was fun. I'd love to have you on some other time, one of my shows. So, uh, But before you go, uh, would you like to tell people where they can find you at? Uh, absolutely. You uh, be- easiest pl- The two easiest places to find me are FortressOfBailyTude.com, which is my Superman blog. And there you can find the entire back catalog of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which I mentioned at the top uh, that uh, I do with my friend Jeffrey Taylor. Uh, that usually the new episodes of that show usually drop on Thursday. But I, I, I most of the time I have something kind of fun whether it's like uh, looking at a trade or a scan of a house ad or a who's who entry related to Superman. Uh, also, Views from a Long Box, which can be found at viewsfromalongbox.com. There's a little over, there's like 230-some episodes of that show to kind of comb through, which apparently uh, uh, Mr. Head has done, uh, which uh, I, I am, I'm kind of baffled by. Uh, that doesn't have a regular release schedule, though in December it will because I'm, I'm stockpiling and doing a bunch of Star Wars stuff that month, which uh, which is going to be a lot of fun. Also, uh, if you're interested in a live show uh, on Tuesdays at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time, uh, which would be 7.30 uh, Pacific Time, uh, over at the Superman homepage where I am a staff writer, uh, Steve Eunice, who runs the Superman homepage and I, get together once a week and talk about what's going on in the world of Superman, which uh, is a lot of Supergirl recently. Uh, and you can actually call in and talk to us live if you want to. So and I do other things, Bailey's Batman podcast, and I'm on a couple shows that haven't happened in a while over at two true tales of the JSA and comics monthly Monday. I definitely recommend people check out your shows. I didn't want to listen to your views from the long box because I have enough podcasts to listen to. <laughs> but I think Shag had mentioned something about it one episode. So let me check out Shag's on there. And Oh, God. Another great episode. So I let me check out a couple of his back episodes. I think I listened to the uh, G.I. Joe episode you did with uh, uh, George. George. Yes. And I'm like, yes. oh, my God, this is great. Oh, darn. So I had to go through and yeah, download most of your back catalog. And I've been slowly been weeding it in through my new episodes that come out of other shows but i'm slowly trying to get caught up on yours so like i said i'm about 28 episodes from being caught up so hopefully in the next month or so i'll I'll be able to finish those off (laughs) well i do appreciate that sir anyways well uh mike's gonna take off uh, because again he's got a million other podcasts he's working on so uh, he's gonna leave us let's go ahead and do the first character profile we're gonna do This uh, episode, our first profile is going to be on Harry Stein.
You may be familiar with him from the episode that me and Mike just talked about. Harry Stein is a fictional police officer and a secret agent featured in DC Comics. Stein first appeared in the first Vigilante series, issue number 23, November of 1985, and was created by the great Paul Kupperberg and Todd Smith. Uh, team affiliations for Harry was Checkmate, The Agency, then YPD. Notable aliases is King, and his abilities is an experienced police officer and espionage agent. Now a little background on uh, Mr. Stein. Uh, Lieutenant Harry Stein was an 18-year veteran of the NYPD. His first DCU appearance was in Vigilante 23. Uh, real quick, I talked about the first issue of Vigilante and Vigilante's first appearance over in Head Speaks uh, several months ago. Uh, look it up for more information on Vigilante. But anyways, uh, so Vigilante 23 where he is introduced as the head of a police task force operating out of Midtown South. The task force's sole job is the apprehension of the vigilante, a.k.a. Adrian Chase, whom they believed was a cop killer. Gary Washington, the very first Checkmate Knight, was also introduced during Harry Stein's run in Vigilante No. 24 as Stein's partner. In Vigilante Annual No. 2, Stein uses illegally obtained evidence to prove Adrian Chase is the vigilante. Stein admitted to illegal search and seizures, and all charges against Chase were thrown out. In issue 37, Stein is forced to resign by his supervisor, Chief Rogers, and hands over his badge. Roger informs him that there are criminal charges pending against him. Also in Vigilante number 37, Harry is recruited into the agency by Valentin Vostok. His first mission is to help a mentally unbalanced vigilante take down a ship full of Middle Eastern terrorists. During the mission, Vostok... Stein and Chase come to conflict with an equally deranged peacemaker, a man that Adrian Chase had sworn to kill. Ironically, Adrian Chase would become a cop killer, but by the end of the series, he ends up committing suicide out of regret. Uh, next time we see O'Harry is when he shows up in Doom Patrol, the second series, issue number two, heading for a meeting with his boss, Valentina Volstock. Harry later makes it inside Callie's Complex, who's the father of Celsius... Uh, the leader of this new Doom Patrol, and shuts down the electrical plant long enough for the Doom Patrol to free himself from Kalki's trap. Harry promises to leave any mention of Joshua Clay's double identity as Dr. Jonathan Carmichael Alves reports. Harry later informs the Doom Patrol that the agency needed them to rescue an American superhero who had been taken hostage in San Salvador. If I'm not mistaken, this series of the Doom Patrol was again written by... Mr. Paul Kupperberg, a great writer. Anyways, uh, moving on, Harry Stein is then appointed Valentina Volstock's replacement in the agency's command position by Amanda Waller. Stein later sought out the most stable personnel available from the American and international intelligence and law enforcement communities to form Checkmate. His agency would field only the best trained and well-equipped agents working under the strictest rules of secrecy. For the organizational structure of the reorganized agency, Stein chose the game of chess as his working model. Stein brought in Gary Washington, Knight One, and Blackthorne as operatives, both of whom were his friends and both of whom were introduced during his run on Vigilante. Uh, Harry Stein's son, Barry and Matthew, are introduced in Checkmate, issue number two, which will be coming up in about two months. And further notes... Uh, when first introduced in Vigilante 23 and throughout the run in that series, Harry was normally drawn as a slovenly and unshaven, 
very much in the mold of Harvey Bullock. In Action Comics 598, uh, which we just talked about, and then the next time we see him in Checkmate 2, Harry is shown as a clean-cut, level-headed father. And that's Mr. Harry Stein. Stay tuned to future episodes of Task Force X as we uh, get to learn a little bit more about him and his agency, Checkmates. And on that note, stay tuned, kids. I'm going to play a promo or two, and then we'll be right back with Suicide Squad number eight. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial for goodness sake. Hey, everyone. Michael Bailey here with a trailer for an exciting series of episodes of Views from the Long Box. To help me with this trailer, I have brought along none other than Darth Vader. What is thy bidding, my master? I, uh, I had to pay extra for that one. Now, normally on Views, I talk about comics, either alone or with a friend. However, with The Force Awakens hitting theaters soon, I have been all excited for Star Wars. And with the sudden massive amount of free time I have found myself with, I decided to devote all of the December episodes of Views to Star Wars in a series I am calling Views from a Galaxy Far, Far Away. Don't be too proud of this technological terror you've constructed. Oh, that was, was kind of rude. I mean, I, I would think a Dark Lord of the Sith would be happy that I'm devoting a month of shows to Star Wars. Don't make me destroy you. Look, Vader, we had a deal. I was going to tell everybody about how I'm going to talk about my favorite Star Wars movies, my favorite characters and comics and toys, in addition to talking about The Force Awakens. You were supposed to back me up on this. I am altering the deal. Pray I don't alter it any further. Well... Fine, then. Can I at least talk about how I'm bringing some of the best and brightest in podcasting along with me on this endeavor? And that the show is going to be weekly through the month of December? The Emperor does not share your optimistic appraisal of the situation. The Emperor will be listening? Oh. Then I will have to double my efforts. Apology accepted. I did an apo- You know what? Never mind. What everybody needs to know is that... Views from a galaxy far, far away... Starts December 1st, here at Views from Longbox. You can find the show on iTunes or by going to www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. We would be honored if you would join us. Finally, you stuck to the script. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Views from a galaxy far, far away. Starting December 1st, only at Views from the Longbox. Hi, I'm Kyle Benning, and I love comics. In fact, I love them so much that I ramble on about them on a number of podcasts, all on one feed, found under the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun banner. I talk about comics with extra page counts, like Treasury Comics, Prestige Format Books, DC's Dollar Comics, Marvel's Giant Size Specials and King Size Daniels, and much, much more. I also love to talk about DC's Christ on Multiple Earth crossovers, free comics from Special Promos, Free Comic Book Day, Star Wars, my life as a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, random comic book back issues, and many other elements of geek culture that happen to strike my fancy. There's new content usually dropping at least once a week, and it's all found on one feed. You can subscribe via iTunes. Just search for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun in the iTunes Store or podcast app on your iPhone. Otherwise, you can follow the podcast at the King Size Comics Giant Size Fun blog headquarters 
available at www.kingsizecomics.giantsizefun.blogspot.com. That's all one word, kingsizecomics.giantsizefun.blogspot.com. Or follow on Facebook by simply searching for King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. So for snappy review and discussions on comics, new and old, usually done from the front seat of my car or my lunch break at work, check out King Size Comics Giant Size Fun. Here we go back to the show. That's the fact, so now you know. Welcome back to Task Force X. And now we're going to cover Suicide Squad number 8, entitled Personnel Files. Uh, the cover date on this was December of 1987, but if you bought this fresh off the newsstand, that means you were around on September the 22nd of 1987, and you would have had 75 cents in your pocket. The editor on this was Robert Greenberger, the writer as normal, the great John Oshender, penciler as usual, Luke McDonald, inker Robert Lewis, letter Todd Klein, and colorist Carl Gafford. The cover credits is artist is Jerry Bingham, and this was reprinted in Suicide Squad Trial by Fire trade paperback from 2011. Now for the synopsis, at the 10,000 foot level, to coin a phrase that my buddy Shag is fond of saying, uh, this issue is basically Simon the Greaves' view of the Suicide Squad. Simon is the team psychologist. Uh, Simon's making notes on his tape recorder about the various members of the team, it also serves a way of catching up to uh, catching us up after the last little story arc. Uh, so as far as the story itself, uh, first he starts off by telling us via his tape recorder uh, how he met the wall some years ago after her husband and kids died, as told in Secret Origins number 14, which I talked about, oh, so many months ago, oh, probably a year ago now. And we also talked with uh, my buddy Ryan Daly over on his Secret Origins podcast. The story goes on about how Amanda confronts Tolliver, who we first met back in the Firestorm Annual that I reviewed with uh, Shag back in episode 12. Amanda finds out that the Russian mission was all Tolliver's idea, as he thinks the squad members are expendable. Uh, we get a little insight into Waller as she informs him that they're considered expendable if needed, not to be thrown away on, as she calls it, crap missions. As Amanda leaves, Tolliver begins dis, uh, devising a way to cover his own rear. Meanwhile, Flag is upset that Nemesis was left behind in Russia. When he's saying that he doesn't like leaving, leaving his teammates behind, Karen Grace comes in and accuses him of doing it before. Again, see Secret Origins 14. So him and Karen are having a heated discussion about it. The privateer, a.k.a. Mark Shaw, uh, listen later to this episode for more on Mark, uh, enters the scene. Him and Rick have a little dust up, and Rick ends up on the ground. Mark lets us know that he was trained by the Manhunters uh, way back in First Issue Special 5. Uh, Rob Kelly over on the uh, Fire and Water podcast is big into this series. almost bought that issue many years ago, but the name of this series was First Issue Special, and the, the guy that was selling it, it was a sh uh, second-hand shop or whatever, uh, he wanted way too much money, and he was like, well, it's a first issue, so it's worth more. I'm like, it's not, that's the name of the series. Well, anyways, uh, I missed out on that one, but continue on. As Rick passes out, uh, a Waller assigns command of the squad te temporarily to the Bronze Tiger. Speaking of which, Tiger's taking June Moon to see Madame Xanadu, who's a big specter, uh, 
co-star or whatever. He, she shows up in the Spectre all the time uh, to get help controlling the Enchantress. Xanadu gives her a necklace that neither her nor the Enchantress can remove. To Ben, she gives a ring that allows him to cause a mystic backlash that can harm the Enchantress and force her to revert back to June. Uh, we see Floyd's talking with Simon's assistant, Maureen Hers. And we find out how Floyd feels about women uh, right before he kisses Dr. Hers. And finally, Boomerbutt is masquerading as the Mirror Master, who's deceased at this point, so he can commit crimes and his Captain Boomerang name be in the clear. And we end with the next issue box, letting us know that Millennium is coming. So that's the synopsis now for my thoughts. Uh, we start off the cover. It's, it's a nice-looking cover, even though it's rather plain. It's an all-red cover. And on the top left-hand side, it says Personnel Files. And we see a shot of Bo- uh, Deadshot, Flag, the Enchantress, Boomerang, Bronze Tiger, uh, all in uh, one color, like an orangish color in the background. And below them, sitting at his desk, smoking a cigarette, it looks like. We see LaGrieve looking over some papers. Our, uh, the little box in the bottom corner, uh, where, where normally the UPC code's at, says Millennium is coming. Overall, I like this cover. It's plain, but for what the the story entails, it, it tells us everything, I think. It's a really nice cover. Uh, so again, we open up with Simon LaGrieve sitting on the edge of his desk. He's got a little Walkman-type recorder in his hand. A little handheld mic, or he's recording his personal thoughts. And you know, I've been saying all along, I I really enjoy Luke McDonald's artwork in this book. Uh, it continues on; it's it's a great, great drawings, great drawings. The artwork is fantastic. Let's put it that way. Uh, again, the next page, we get a little flashback of Waller from uh, Secret Origins fourteen. Or the grievous thinking that, you know, we see her one son being stabbed, her daughter uh, being grabbed by the Candyman, and then, I think, what was his name? Joe shooting Candyman, killing him. Again, I, I really like the artwork in here, uh, and Ostriger's writing, as usual, is top notch. Uh, there's one panel I really like. It's uh, the page two, the very bottom. The second, there's at the very there's one long panel on the left hand side, and next to that on the bottom there's two more panels. The one in the middle bottom is just an extreme close up of a profile of Amanda's face, and uh, basically she's talking about how after her husband and kids were killed, that there's a lot of pain and anger, and she says I need that anger, or the damn project's gonna swallow up a little I have left of my family. And just the determination that Luke McDonald draws on her face is just fantastic. Uh, again, as I said, I some of his uh, regular four-color superhero stuff, as you call it, uh, from what I've seen, it's not that great. But for the Suicide Squad, oh, he's a fantastic artist. You can just tell the determination in Amanda's face. And as Amanda leaves, Simon's telling her that she needs to take that anger and use it for something useful so it's not holding her back. And I like this, there's a middle of the panel here, or the page, Simon's saying that his ploy of trying to work with Amanda may have been a mistake, rather than confronting and dealing with her anger, she uses it as a tool, and this is where she tells us that Amanda stormed off to confront Dexter Tolliver, the Lyason man from the 
NSC. And again, you got a nice little next issue or a little uh, editor's box here. It says, see our last issue, three issues for the Russian story. And then it says, Tolliver was last seen with the squad in this year's Firestorm Annual. So if I'm not mistaken, this is really Tolliver's uh, first real major appearance in here uh, when Waller kicks in. <laughs> again, another fantastic art page by uh, McDonald. We see. Uh, Amanda kicking the page and yelling, Tolliver! And even again, how you can tell that Luke McDonald is a fantastic artist, at least on this title that I'm talking about, is that even without the dialogue, you can see that from the way he's drawn Amanda that she is extremely upset. But again, as I talked about in the synopsis, Amanda's confronting him, trying to find out you know who okayed the mission to Russia, and when he finds out that it was Tolliver and all like Again, another fantastic scene here at the bottom of page four. Well, I'm only on page four, and there's so many fantastic pages already. Uh, she's He's telling her that, Tolliver's telling Amanda that the government's already disowned him, that he assumed there was no way to could backtrack to America. And she's like, those are my people you're tossing to the wolves, Tolliver. He's like, they're expendable. That's how the squad was set up. The way you set it up, Ms. Waller. And she just gives him a, a, you know, if a looks could kill type look and then just knocks him onto the floor. And that's where I talked about in the synopsis that he said they're considered expendable if necessary, Tolliver. They're not meant to be thrown away on garbage missions like this one. And this is where he, she finally figures out that it was Tolliver that it proved the mission himself. And I'm going to stop here real quick and make another comment. Um, back when I reviewed the uh, Assault on Arkham DVD movie, uh, Amanda killed one of the squad people. I forget, I think it was KJB Beast or somebody, just to prove a point. And uh, a, fa- uh, a listener wrote in saying that he thought that was kind of out of character for her, and I w- wasn't quite so sure. Reading this, I'm starting to agree with him a little more that it was kind of out of character for Amanda to to kill him just to do it, just to prove a point. Uh, so I've got to agree with him at this point that, yeah, that was very out of character for Amanda. I still, it was a good movie, but yeah, that was it would have been better if they would have handled it differently. But back to the story again, we see Flag talking to Waller, saying how he doesn't like leaving a man behind, and then we get Karen's uh, again as the editor's note here says a somewhat jaundiced view of events shown in Secret Origins fourteen when she claims that you know Rick left two men behind in the Himalayas and then abandoned her while she suffered with her nervous breakdown. And again, he grabs her and says, damn it, Karen. And she like icy letter saying how cold she is towards him. Like, you know, let go of me. And as Amanda starts to interrupt and break him apart, about this time, the privateer comes in. Uh, we got Mark Shaw, a decent looking costume. Uh, again, he's kind of a pirate looking guy at this point. He's got brown leather pants, uh, boots that goes up to his thighs, a red shirt that's open like a V-style shirt that's open down to his belly, blue or black uh, gloves, and a big flowing cape, an eye patch over one eye. I'm not as familiar with Mark Shaw from this time frame. Again, I was a big fan of him during his Manhunter series later on. So I'm not sure why he has his eye covered up. Uh, maybe we'll find out in the upcoming issues. But uh, They scuffle a little bit, as I said, and Mark Shaw gets the better Rick Flag and knocks him down. 
And even though he's able to kick Rick's butt here, uh, he's a rather, uh, what's the one we're looking for? He's rather diplomatic about it. He's like, bravely done, Colonel, but it's over. Let's say you're not at your best, huh? And you need to be at your best if you're going to face one that's trained by the Manhunters. And again, another, I, I love these editor's note here that says that, you know, see first issue special number five for Warren is trained by the Manhunters. And then as uh, Rick's picking himself up off the ground, he can see Karen kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say flirting, but, you know, she's like, thank you, Mr. Shaw, may I call you Mark? And he's all, I shall insist upon it, Karen. It's kind of a funny scene. I like that. And then we go to the Bronze Tiger slash uh, June Moon portion of the story. Again, as I keep saying, the artwork in this is more than just serviceable. It's fantastic artwork. But again, so we have June and uh, Ben Turner, the Bronze Tiger, going in to uh, see Madame Xanadu. And when they open the door, we have uh, they don't tell who they are. But from the way Luke McDonald draws it, I know it's Jim Corgan, the Spectre. And I'm not sure who the Asian girl is. I'm not familiar with her offhand. It's been a while since I read the Spectre series. Uh, but as they're knocking on the door, uh, June's like, of course, Karloff answers the door, Ben. I'm gone. Man of Xanadu lives like in a creepy place, creepy house. And when Jim opened the door and let him in, he didn't really say anything other than, you know, Man of Xanadu's waiting on you. Told him where to go. Didn't introduce himself. So June's like, so who who are they, friends or clients? And Ben answers, don't know, June, but personally, I found them spookier than Karloff. Again, I, I love, as much as I love Luke Bajonal's artwork in this, I, I absolutely love John Ostinger's dialogue, his writing. It's top-notch. And they meet Madame Xanadu and, to quote uh, my buddy Shag over on Firestorm Fan and the Fire and Water podcast, uh, she's hot. For a creepy sorceress gal. And as I talked about in the uh, synopsis for this, she gives June a necklace and tells her to put it on. And again, I like the artwork here where, you know, the enchantress appears, the mystic crackling appears around her, the red energy, as she turns into the enchantress. And as she starts to use her spell on Madame Xanadu, uh, <laughs> Madame Xanadu's makes the power go back into her, gives her feedback, and knocks, you know, knocks for a loop. And he, she forces the Enchantress to change back into June. Again, this is a great story. Uh, and then we go to the dead shots and Dr. Her's uh, portion of the story. And uh, Simon starts us off by saying that, you know, uh, he's got a, it's a problem that Marlene, Marine Hers, his assistant, is bright, capable, intelligent, but headstrong, somewhat young, and he's afraid that she's becoming fascinated with Floyd Lawton, a.k.a. Deadshot. And then we go to other therapy sessions where, you know, uh, he's talking about how a woman's complicated. If he wants a woman, he'll get a prostitute, basically. And I like that she's like, you find women complicated? And he's like, they don't know what they want. One year they want men to be all sensitive. The next they want macho men to help them. The pros keep it, up, keep it on a cash basis. Simple and straightforward. All women are pros anyways. <laughs> Again, from the dialogue and just the facial expression, this little drawing, you see she's like, I beg your pardon? And he's like, I was raised rich, saw women marry guys for the bucks, then divorce them and take them for all they could get. Real pros make you pay only pay once, not all your life. 
Hell, you're a pro too. All this caring, it's what you're paid to do. You're just another pro. And she slaps him across the face. And then he gives her a kiss and then just walks out. But uh, you can tell that she, you know, she does have feelings for him, not only from what LaGrieve said, but she got so upset that he, you know, he thinks that she's being paid to care about him when I'm sure she actually has some feelings for the guy. So it's just kind of funny that she walks out. She's got a tear down her, you know, down each of her eyes. Uh, and again, we get some more of Simon monologuing. So he's not sure what happened between them, but it left her really upset. And then we go, he's talking about Digger Harkness, a.k.a. Captain Boomerang. And he basically characterizes him. He's like, he's, uh, let me see. He goes, he, the problem is he's an unprincipled sociopath with little or no moral sense of right and wrong. He may like what he is, but no one else in the group can stand him. I'm afraid that includes me. Give him an inch, he'll steal a mile. I keep finding new depths of his character that he sinks to. And that's, so we see, go to a flat, you know, some cops chasing Mirror Master. Who's, who's died some time ago. I think he died during the crisis, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, they're chasing down Mirror Master. He uses his powers and gets away from him. And he's on top of a building. And yeah, here it is. It's like, uh, as Boomerang's taking his mask off, he's like, too right. Oh, I'm glad old Shudder and me were mates. Shudder being, I think it was Sam Shudder, if I'm not mistaken. And there's a note here saying, the, from the editor saying, the original Mirror Master who died during the crisis on infinite earths. But uh, we see Boomerang taking his mask off, and he's saying that, you know, basically he can pull jobs of the Mirror Master when he wants to and leave Captain Boomerang on the side of the angels, as it were, as far as everyone's concerned. And then we end with uh, Simon the Grieve making his final comments, and as his wife comes in, and she offers to make some breakfast. And I like this. His last line here is, whatever else happens, I know I don't face it alone. Which even, you know, Simon the Greaves working as a psychiatrist for a bunch of criminals, uh, working with the Suicide Squad. You know, I mean, you know the groups can't be on a have a good moral or uh, good mental stance. Being a group called the Suicide Squad, but he's got his wife, and if you've got a family, if you got a wife, and I know this from my own personal experience, you've got a wife to help you out. You can fend almost anything. So a good wife's uh, a good thing to have. Uh, but enough about that. I mean, you know. And then we end, you know, end, and then it says next, Millennium, which will be next month. But again, overall, a great issue. I enjoyed the writing in it, as always. The dialogue that I mentioned several times was great. I enjoyed uh, Luke McDonald's artwork in this book. Uh, it was very good. And then just a little note here, uh, the coming attractions in the letters page. It says, as you can tell from the uh, comments and ads here, Millennium is sure to be talked about, comic of the fall. Uh, and according to this, looks like the story for the, for the Suicide Squad is going to be involved in goes through Spectre, Detective Comics, and Captain Adam. But go ahead and check back with me next month to see how I'm going to handle Millennium. I don't know yet. We'll figure it out. But that's it for this story. Now we move on to the next character profile. This character profile, we're going to talk about Manhunter, Privateer, a.k.a. Mark Shaw, who we first met uh, today. His first appearance was in First Issue Special, number five, and he was created by Jack Kirby. Mark Shaw was a public defender, unhappy about how easily criminals manipulated the system and got off without punishment. Mark's Uncle Desmond introduced him to an ancient sect of crime fighters called the Manhunters. Shaw contacted the Grandmaster, 
the sex leader, through a magical lion medallion. Shortly, he assumed the Manhunter name and costume from a previous Manhunter. The Manhunter sect was composed of androids created billions of years before by the Guardians of Oa to police the galaxy. For a millennium, they served the Guardians well. The Manhunters become obsessed with the act of hunting criminals. Their code, No Man Escapes the Manhunter, became more important to them than seeing justice done. Eventually, the androids rebelled against the Guardians, but were swiftly defeated by their creators. Those who survived went into hiding. The latter-day Manhunters attempted to disgrace the Guardians with Mark Shaw at their side. They were opposed by the JLA, especially by League member Green Lantern. Shaw realized that he had been duped by the Manhunters and turned on them, killing the Grandmaster, who was revealed to be a robot. Mark Shaw quickly returned as a new hero called the Privateer, but it was soon revealed that he was also working as a villain called the Tsar's Tsar in League of the Key. The Red Tornado discovered the deception, and Shaw went to prison. While in the midst of serving his sentence, Shaw was offered the chance to accompany the Suicide Squad on a mission as the Privateer, which I think we saw today. In other media, uh, David Cubitt portrayed Mark Shaw in Arrow in the third season episode, Corto Maltese. Uh, there he was just a liaison Argus agent to Corto Maltese, who'd gone off the grid and is unreachable. Uh, also, according to Wikipedia, he will eventually be known as Manhunter later on the show. And that's our character profile for today. Finally, over in Suicide Notes, uh, we have a few Facebook comments and likes and what have you over on Facebook. Uh, we have Facebook likes from Tim Wallace, Gene Hendricks, M. Anthony Gerardo, and Gabriel Lill. Uh, and that's it. There's no emails. No one emailed us this time. Uh, so I guess that'll do it for this episode. Again, if you want to hear your comments read on the show, send us an email. You can email us at taskforcex at headspeaks.com. Again, as usual, check out our site, taskforcex.headspeaks.com. We're on Facebook and Google Plus under Task Force X. Go and take a look for us. But I guess I'll do it for this time. Uh, we'll see you next month when we talk about Checkmate number one and Suicide Squad number nine. And we'll probably briefly discuss Millennium. But we'll see what I decide to do about that next month. Until then, squad mates, dismissed. Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just out crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I try Boomer, but anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under Headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at Task Force X. And also on Google Plus, you can look for Task 
Force X under People and Pages. Uh, all titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. Mother... <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages. Yippee!